0: Welcome to the Waukesha Bible Church Podcast. We believe the Bible tells a single story, and at the center of that story is Jesus. If you like what you hear today, additional sermons, teaching sessions, and written material can be found on our website at waukeshawebible.org. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Our passage today is Galatians chapter 1. Uh, verses 10 through the end of the chapter. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. We are studying
1: Galatians. We are looking at chapter 1, verses 10 through 24. And the question being asked is simply this, Is Jesus enough or do we need more? The Jews were... Teaching that the Gentiles had to embrace the works of the law such as circumcision in order to be right with God or to maintain their rightness And Paul was saying no Jesus alone and only is enough in the justification and sanctification of the soul So the question that's being addressed and answered in Galatians is simply this is Jesus enough or do we need more? But here's what we see in Galatians. We not only see a defense of the gospel, the defining of the gospel, but also the proclamation of the gospel. When I was a much, much younger individual, I played hockey, and I loved hockey. I would travel to play hockey. And one thing I know about hockey is that you have two nets, one on either end of the rink, and the objective is to put the puck in the net. The other objective is to keep the puck out of the net, depending on what side of that Team or equation you're dealing with but I love playing hockey with the Awana boys But then I found that I'm just simply too old to go up and down and I love playing goalie Goalie is one of my favorite positions even though I played forward When I was a much much younger individual I tried to skate recently and I found that it was way too painful when you fall (laughs) So I've given up that idea clearly unless I'm in fully Full body armor, but in hockey you have a goalie. This is a a shooting stick. We know that it's not a goalie stick but you're standing there and you're set for defense. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul is doing. He's set for defense. Everything is shooting at him, but he's seeking to block it with all his might. But not only are you set for the defense, but you also have to be trying to score points. That's where we are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many of our young people, they would have these games called capture the flag, right? Now, in my day, we didn't really play capture the flag. We played kick the can. With kick the can, uh, all the old people are nodding their heads. Uh, When you play kick the can, you have one guy that's guarding the can. Everyone else is trying to kick that can, and you're trying to touch them before they kick the can. If you can touch them before they kick the can, then they're out of the game. There's a defense. There's an offense. Capture the flag. Uh, Capture the flag for now. I think I would just plant myself by the flag because I'm too old to run. But you have one flag that you're guarding. You guard the flag. The other team is trying to capture your flag. You guard the flag, but you're also trying to capture that flag. Well, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is doing in the book of Galatians. The gospel is being attacked. So the Apostle Paul is set for its defense. But we have already seen that you have to define what the gospel is. Paul has done that for us already, and we'll remember just a few thoughts that have been said already concerning that gospel. But Paul is set for the defense of the gospel. But in addition, he is proclaiming the gospel and he's pushing the gospel outward. But what we're going to see in our passage this morning is simply this. Where did Paul get his gospel? What is the origin or source of Paul's gospel? And the second question that he asks and is answered in this text is, was it received from God or did he get it from man? So far, what we have seen in chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, is simply this. He defends his apostleship. Even here, when Paul says, I lie not, well, why would he make such a statement? Well, because he's being accused of lying. So he says, I lie not. He defends his apostleship, but he also defines for us the gospel. Even in reading verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of Our god and father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen So the apostle paul is defending his apostleship. He is defining for us the gospel We see that initially in verses 1 through 5 Then last week we noted in verses 6 through 9 how the gospel is a person the gospel is a person Jesus is the gospel and to defect from the gospel is to abandon Jesus. It isn't as if You are simply removing yourself from a set of thought or beliefs. It is defecting or removing yourself or abandoning Jesus. The gospel, once it is distorted, and it's something we keep revisiting, ceases to be the gospel. And from this text, verses 6 through 9, we see that there is no other gospel. There is no other good news that is not found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So we know what the gospel is. The gospel is a person, and that person brings to us good news. And Paul has set about defending his apostleship and defining the gospel. Now what happens in verse 10 of chapter 1 all the way through chapter 2, verse 14, is a defense of his apostleship and defining where he actually received this gospel. But what we see, and if I could summarize this whole idea... In a simple statement, is simply this, the revealed Son. You'll note with me in verse 12, it says, For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it by man, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And we know that to be true based on Acts chapter 9. The Apostle Paul received from God the Father a revelation of Jesus Christ the Son. And then in verses 15 and 16, note what it says. It says, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him, Jesus, among the Gentiles. So the Apostle Paul clearly identifies the source of his gospel as coming from God. And this gospel is a revelation of Jesus Christ. And what we are going to see repeatedly throughout this paragraph is simply this. That the revelation of Jesus Christ and exposure to the Son, the revelation of Jesus Christ radically changes the recipient from what they once were to what they now are. That's what the gospel does. It has that kind of intrinsic power. When you and I encountered the gospel being Jesus, that revelation of him radically changes the recipient. It radically changes us. That's what we've been studying on Wednesday nights in Romans. It radically changes us from what we once were to what we now are in Christ. That's the gospel. This passage has two primary ideas or thoughts. The origin of Paul's communication. Where did it come from? Because Paul says that I have received this revelation from someone. And then the evidence of Paul's conversion. Paul brings himself into the equation as an example of God's radical power. But the revelation of Jesus Christ radically changes the recipient from what they once were to what they now are. But let's consider the origin of Paul's communication. Notice in verse 11, for, or verse 10 rather, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is Paul's perspective. Paul's perspective is such that the gospel is either going to be an approval of man or an approval of God. You are either going to please man or please God. Paul has chosen because of the revelation received to please God. And he knew when he did that, he was setting himself against this because those two ideas are in polar opposites. They are antithetical to each other. I am either going to please man or I'm going to please God. And Paul said that his perspective was of such that he's going to seek God's approval. And then here's what Paul says following in verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. Humanity did not come up with this idea of gospel. It did not come up with this idea of Jesus. It did not come up with this idea of the seed promise or the blood picture. Paul says he was not taught, it was not taken from man, nor was he taught it by man. It came to him from God. God gave Paul this revelation of his son. And Jesus Christ in his person and in his work is the gospel. Jesus is the gospel. But note this in passing. The scriptures that you and I have in our hands is a divinely sourced scripture and when you and I speak of Scripture, we are talking about this written revelation that we now have from Genesis all the way through a Revelation. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, the verse highlighted, it reads, All Scripture is breathed out by God. The paragraph in which that verse occurs reads as follows, But as for you, continue what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. By the way, that's exactly what we are always encouraging at Waukesha Bible Church. How can we, from the very beginning, instruct our children in the gospel? We want families to do that. And then it continues in verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness in order that the man of God, the people of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. But the Bible you and I have in our hands, in front of us, or on our technology, is a divinely sourced word from God. Not only is it a divinely sourced word from God, but it is a word about God. The message the Apostle Paul preached was Christ crucified, and you see that throughout Corinthians, you see that throughout the New Testament record. When Paul says he preached the gospel, that gospel was embedded in the person and work of Jesus Christ, and for the Apostle Paul to preach the gospel was to preach Christ, to preach Christ. God the Father was the revealer, Jesus Christ was the revealed, and in that revelation, Paul receives his gospel. So if someone says to you, well, what's the gospel? You can plainly say the gospel is Jesus. Jesus is the good news. Jesus Christ has come into the world to save sinners, and Paul will say, of whom I am chief. All of us must see ourselves for what we are. We cannot save ourselves. Only God can, and this is exactly what Jesus has done. But to preach the gospel was to preach Christ. We err if and when we separate Christ from the gospel or from grace. And as we work through the book of Galatians, we see for Paul in Galatians, all three ideas are synonymous. You cannot speak of one without the other. All three are intricately linked. So the Apostle Paul begins by identifying the source of the gospel. It has come to him from God. The content of that gospel is a revelation of Jesus Christ. That enables us, by the way, to define or identify the gospel. If someone is saying something other than Jesus, it is not the gospel. But notice then what happens in Paul's writing. Verse 12, For I did not receive it from any man nor as I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And then notice verse 13, where he begins to give the evidence of his conversion. Notice how he describes himself. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently, and I tried to destroy it. Think of the language, think of the vocabulary that the apostle is using to describe his past. Verse 14, And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. The Apostle Paul puts forth this idea of a changed life. Folks, you and I agree that Jesus saves. What is he saving us from? Sin and death. And what is he saving us for? Hope and glory. He's not only saving us from sin and death, but for hope and glory. Paul needed saving. You look at the Apostle Paul in his previous life, and he needed saving. I remember as I taught these things for many, many years, and I've taught them to children. My my children, I believe, were raised in a Christian home, and they heard the gospel, and they got saved. They accepted these truths at an early age. And I remember we'd have speakers come and share their testimony. They talked about how wicked their past was and how being saved now changed them into something else. And my kids would often say, I wish I had a testimony like that. And I'd tell them, well, you do. You do. You were just as wicked as they were. And God in his mercy and grace saved your wretched soul. That's the truth. And may God spare our kids from having to go through all that in order to understand that they are indeed broken and in need of a savior. But the apostle Paul was indeed a very sincere individual, but a wicked individual. What Paul then does in the evidence of his conversion, he highlights three ideas. Paul had zeal without knowledge. God has grace without boundaries. And Paul had boldness without fear. And we see that. Why is this so? Well, because the revelation of Jesus Christ radically changes the recipient from what they once were to what they now are. This is what the gospel does. First of all, Paul's zeal. He had a zeal without knowledge. The apostle Paul hated the truth. He was confronted by the truth and he tried to kill it. He hated the truth and he loved the traditions of man. And Paul sought to destroy that which the forces of hell cannot prevail against. Notice the language that Paul uses to describe his past. He persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. He set himself against the impossible. It continues in verse 14 when Paul says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries, among many of my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. The Apostle Paul uses inflated speech to describe just how passionately he was set for the defense of those ancestral traditions and how much he hated this intrusion, this gospel. And I always find it interesting concerning traditions, and traditions are not intrinsically bad. We have a tradition that we will be celebrating on Thursday called Thanksgiving. Well, we can celebrate that, but from whom do we receive all these blessings? And we need to be reminded of that. Apart from him, we would have nothing. So we see Paul's zeal, but it was a zeal without knowledge. He persecuted the church. Beyond measure, and he tried to destroy it. He was advancing in Judaism beyond many of his contemporaries among his countrymen, being much more extremely zealous for these ancestral traditions. And then what happens, and notice what happens here Paul says, in verse, I love the way it reads here in verse, thir- uh, verse 14, And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. And if you're following along in the text, we then have these two words. But God, God has this hard stop. And I pray to God, I truly pray to God that all of us have had these hard stops where we have come to realize the revelation of his son. Why? Because that revelation radically changes the recipient and changes them from what they once were to what they now are. This is what the gospel does, but we have this hard stop. But when God... Paul was once a persecutor, a destroyer of the church, extremely zealous for the ancestral traditions... And then he changes because of his encounter with the revealed Christ. And Paul then can write, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He can write that because the revelation of Jesus Christ radically changes the recipient from what they once were to what they now are. That's what the gospel does. Notice how Paul describes this grace that he received. Three things are noted. It says that God was pleased to separate Paul from the womb. Folks, your story begins in eternity past. And God is now playing it out in time. And there is a future. God has your life. And he is guiding and molding and shaping that life. But Paul notes three things about this immeasurable grace, this boundless grace it, that it pleased God to separate Paul from the womb. It pleased God to save Paul. And it pleased God to send Paul. We see that in our text. Notice what it says. It says, he, he revealed his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Paul is the apostle to the Gentile world. But God was doing this in Paul's life. And this is what God is doing in your life. Because the revelation of Jesus radically changes the recipient, causing them to move from what they were to what they now are. God has done this in our lives. He has saved us, he has separated us, he has saved us, and he is sending us. This is what God is doing. We see this in Paul's life. Paul initially had zeal without knowledge. We see that still in our own culture, in our own nation, in our own world. But God has grace without boundaries. God saved Paul. And every one of us could put a Paul in that slot. God saved. This is what God does. Grace without boundaries. And then Paul had boldness without fear. Paul marks his journey. Notice it says in verse 17, Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went to Jerusalem. and met with Cephas for 15 days. Paul marks his journey. He went to Arabia, then Damascus. From Arabia, Damascus, somewhere in there you have Acts chapter 9. And then he was there for three years, and after that he went to Jerusalem. Then he goes to Syria, Cilicia for 14 years, and after 14 years he goes back to Jerusalem for a second visit. Now we don't know, many say they do, but we don't know if that second visit is Acts 15 or something that happens prior to Acts 15, which is the Jerusalem Council. But to show you what this looks like on a map, the Apostle Paul begins, number one, Arabia, then Damascus, number two, then down into Jerusalem, number three, then Cilicia, Syria. Cilicia, that's, that's way up there in Antioch. And then he comes back to number three, Jerusalem. He has this cycle. So for three years, he's in Arabia, Damascus. And then after that, he goes to Jerusalem. He's then in Antioch, that whole region up there, for 14 years, And then it returns back to Jerusalem after a 14-year absence for a second visit. And we don't know chronologically exactly where all that stuff is taking place. But it's happening. It's the timeline. And Paul is simply stressing this idea that the gospel he received did not come from men. It didn't come from the sitting apostles. He was not taught it by men. He received it from God and he was taught it by God. It shows the divine origin of that. And what's the end game that Paul concludes in verse 23? Paul then says, they only were hearing. All this is going on, 14 years. The apostle Paul is, in a sense, sideline in the back. You have the apostles, but you have Paul out there. What is Paul doing? And this is what he's going to be stressing in his other letters. Paul is preaching Christ crucified. Paul's preaching Christ crucified. Paul is preaching what he received, a revelation of Jesus Christ and his person and work. He's preaching that. And for 14 years, he's doing this. It isn't until after 14 years, as we'll see in chapter 2, verse 1, that he visits Jerusalem and he talks with the apostles about what he's doing and that he has been doing for the last 14 years in preaching. But what is he preaching? He's preaching Christ crucified. And there's this buzz taking place. They're not texting they're not emailing he's not on national tv but what are they hearing and this is what they are hearing they only were hearing it said he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy the revelation of jesus christ radically changes the recipient from what they once were to what they now are and paul is testimony or witness of this thing And as they heard this, they glorified God because of me. They saw the radical nature of what had happened in the Apostle Paul's life and what he was now doing. And this is that story. Paul was the most unlikely person to be preaching the gospel of grace in Christ Jesus. Paul's conversion by the gospel of grace to the gospel of grace speaks of its inherent power to change lives. Why? Because the revelation of Jesus Christ radically changes the recipient from what they once were to what they now are. And that revelation has changed all of us who have received it. Paul's conversion by the gospel of grace to the gospel of grace speaks of its inherent power to change lives. I don't know if you've been uh, up on what has been happening But perhaps you have heard that Kanye West did an album called Jesus is King. And he's now being splashed across everything. And there's a sense of our instinctive cynicism where we're crossing our arms going, you know what? I don't know. Let's just wait and see what happens, right? I mean... I know that a revelation of Jesus Christ can radically change the recipient from what they once were to what they now are. But Kanye West, that's a stretch. This is back in my day, but Brian Welch of Corn. well, that guy accepted Christ as a savior from sin and death and left the band. And you're thinking, there's no possible way but the revelation of Jesus Christ radically changes the recipient from what they once were to what they now are. Paul's testimony to the power of the gospel. I came across this individual, I would say Rosadia Champagne Butterfield. I might have done one of my graphic kills on pronunciation. But she was a tenured English professor at Syracuse University. A skeptic of all things Christian and in a committed lesbian relationship. Her academic specialty was queer theory, a postmodern form of gay and lesbian studies. But today, Butterfield is a mother of four, a homemaker, a wife of a Presbyterian pastor named Kent, and they live in Durham, North Carolina. There's no way, no way. But see, The revelation of Jesus Christ radically changes the recipient from what they once were to what they now are. Paul is using his transformation to say, this thing can only happen by God. Because when Paul got converted, everyone was skeptical. Everyone was skeptical. There's no way. But Paul kept staying the course. Christ crucified. And they began to say, I don't know how in the world it happened, but the one who was seeking to destroy us is now preaching the very Christ he rejected. And they glorified God because of it. How does this happen? You and I cannot cause this kind of transformation. Only God can. Only the gospel can. Only Jesus can. Who is it in your life that you look at and say, there's no way. A mom, a dad, a grandpa, a grandparent, a grandma, a kid who's gone wayward off the reservation completely. Just nuts. A co-worker who's an absolute immoral pig. And you say to yourself, self, there's no way. Every time I bring up the gospel, they reject it. Flat out. You know what? What they need is a revelation of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ radically changes the recipient from what they once were to what they now are. No one is beyond the reach of God. I take great comfort in that. What the world needs is not another program, but a person and his name is Jesus. We are what we are by the grace of God. Comparison kills contentment. I'll never be Paul, but I can be Pat. I look at these people and I think to myself, how in the world did this happen? How did God save the likes of Kanye West? How did God save the likes of Brian Welch? How did God save the likes of you? And how did God save the likes of me? But it pleased God to separate us from our mother's womb and save our wretched souls. And what do we do in response to that? Thank God. Thank God. And that person that you think is beyond the reach of God isn't. God can save them. Because the revelation of Jesus Christ radically changes the recipient from what they once were to what they now are. This is what the gospel does. So friends, if you know the gospel, then thank God. Thank God and share the gospel. I'm not asking or inviting you to be brutish, but I'm asking you and inviting you to share the gospel. We have an opportunity on Thanksgiving gathered with family to give thanks to God Almighty in their presence, and that's what we can do, and that's what we should do. Thank God that he saved your soul. Please stand with me as we close in prayer. Our Father, how thankful we are that not only did the gospel save Paul, and we see how Radically he was changed by a revelation of your son, but father we we were and we were like Paul And you saved us and we have nothing to say but thanks Now help us to as it were wear the gospel on our sleeves to openly communicate Through our actions and words just how wonderful jesus is May father we communicate what is true That we can't save ourselves, but you can And Jesus did. Paul believed that, and we believe that. May we be set for the defense of the faith. May we define that gospel and protect it from the onslaughts of the devil. And yet, Father, may we equally push it out. May we equally be advancing the gospel through the proclamation everywhere we go. So thank you, Father, for this time together as we meditate on these things. In Jesus' name, amen.